All right, I think we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, obviously, Laura is not here in person, but uh, I'm going to let her introduce herself and kind of talk through what's going on. But thank you guys for coming. And uh, I'll just uh, go ahead and let Laura take it away. Thanks, Ben. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for, I'm surprised that there's a good turnout. Or I'm, plus, yeah, this is nice that there's a good turnout. This is your last breakout session, right? Yes. Uh, for the GMHC. Awesome. How's it been going so far? Good? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so my name's Laura Smelter. I'm sorry that I can't be there with you in person, but thanks to Ben and the GMHC team for setting this all up. And uh, what I want to share with you today is community health evangelism and transformational development. Uh, so I am the director of training for Christian Health Service Corps. If you have not visited our booth yet, we have a booth. Uh, and it will have my card and information about our training programs, one of which is community health evangelism. Uh, but I've been involved in short and long-term missions, uh, relief, development, and uh, clinical and academic work for since 1996, so for a long time now. Um, so just by a show of hands, this is going to be an interactive session, so we'll stop at times for you to yell out answers uh, to different questions, but by a show of hands, how many people have heard of community health evangelism before? Okay, so maybe a little more than half, good. Um, and can anyone, does anyone want to share what they've heard about it? Or if, if you're involved in it, what you've done with it? Not yet, too early yet on, um, on a Saturday morning? Uh, so community health evangelism is a network of organizations that applies the strategy of community health evangelism that uses community and public health and development principles. So what we really want to delve into today are an example of a few of the principles that foster holistic development. Uh, so CHE, community health evangelism, or CHE, wants to foster holistic transformational development um, physical and spiritual. So we want to discuss principles like participatory learning and action and asset-based community development and how those can foster holistic development and how you can apply them um, in your life and work wherever you are. Uh, so another question I have for you is, does anyone have a definition currently? What's your current definition of holistic development? And just yell it out, because I can't really see much about hands raising. So what does holistic development mean to you at this point in time? It's meant to be um, in multiple spheres. So uh, body, soul, could include, depending on the use of it, financial, educational, all of those arenas. Right. Yeah, that's a great, so holistic, right? So it applies to all aspects of a person, a community, um, or the situation. So not just compartmentalizing it to say physical or health and spiritual and water and agriculture, but um, applying to all of life and all of a person. Good. And has anyone heard of participatory learning in action or PLA? Have you heard or used that? Raise your hand. Okay, so at the end, toward the end, we'll talk more about that, but we're actually going to 
start with some examples of that that we can all participate in. And then asset-based community development, ABCD. Show of hands, anyone who's heard of that? Okay, good. So for, for both people who have heard of it and those of you who that may be a new term for you, just looking at that term right now, kind of jot down what you think a definition of that might be, and then we'll come back to that also toward the end. Um, so the first, the next thing we're going to do is start off with a story that illustrates some of these principles. And after the story, we'll have more questions for you to yell out answers to. So kind of be ready, listen to the story, and be ready to answer the questions. And I need to step away from the screen for just a second because I did not bring my story with me. Just a minute. Saturday morning here. I'm in Texas. Um, okay, so here's this story, story time for us. There once was a village located on top of a steep mountain. On a regular basis, as people were coming down the mountain, they would slip off the trail and fall to the valley below. A number of people were injured and some even killed. A short-term team came to their village, saw the problem, and wanted to do something about it. They thought about what they could do and then decided that the best thing would be to station an ambulance at the base of the mountain. Therefore, when a person fell, a driver could rush with the ambulance to pick him up and bring him to the closest hospital 10 kilometers away. The people in the village were excited about this idea. The short-term team went home and raised the funds for the ambulance. The people at home were excited that they could get involved and help. One day, the ambulance broke down. But the people ignored the problem until another person fell off the trail and needed the ambulance to be taken to the hospital, but there was no transport available. They then became very concerned and went looking for the short-term team that had put the ambulance there. They complained that the team's ambulance was broken down and they wanted to know why the team didn't keep the vehicle in good repair. The team raised more money and fixed it for them. However, the same problem happened several more times again with the people coming to the team wanting them to sort out the problem. The short-term team finally decided that there were too many repairs required on the vehicle and they could not keep raising more money to fix it. They told the people it was their problem. The team had tried but could no longer help. The people felt sad about this but did nothing. They were now back to the place where they had begun. Representatives from the church leadership came, saw the problem, and said they wanted to help. The church leadership decided that what was really needed was a clinic at the foot of the mountain. So if someone fell, they could get immediate medical care. The church leadership built a clinic, provided equipment, staff, and drugs. The people were very happy that those who fell could now get immediate care and not have to make the 10-kilometer drive to the hospital. This worked well for a while, but eventually those working at the clinic wanted some time off, so the clinic was left unattended. The people went to the church leadership and complained about the poor service that the clinic was providing and said the church leadership had to give them better care. The church leadership put in extra staff to cover during the holidays. Several times the clinic ran out of drugs, and the people complained about the poor care the church leadership was providing for them. The church leadership ran low on money and had to stop some of their operations to conserve the money. They decided to stop staffing this clinic and providing drugs for it. 
they shut it down. The people were very angry with the church leadership. The people didn't know what to do. The two ideas that outsiders had done for them, the ambulance and the clinic, were no longer available and working. A respected man in the community said, let's meet to talk about the real problem. They looked back at their original need, which was to somehow take care of those who fell off the path as they were traveling up and down the mountain from the village. The two solutions helped somewhat, but there were problems with each solution. As they talked, the respected man said, I had an idea when we first talked about the problem, but no one would listen to me. The outsiders were going to do everything for us for free. My idea would have taken some work and money on our part, so no one was interested in what I had to offer. He then told them his idea, which was to build a fence along the trail to keep people from falling over the edge. It would take work on the part of the people to cut the wood for the fence and to put it up. It would take a little money to put the fence posts in cement so they would last longer. People responded with, that's a great idea, let's do it. So they raised the little money they needed and began to work. After several weeks, the work was done. Now, when someone slipped, the fence stopped them from falling over the edge to the valley below. After a few years, the wood began to rot, but instead of going to an outsider, they went and fixed the fence themselves. Now, instead of looking to the outside for help, they began to look to their own community for solving the problem. This one project gave them confidence that they could do things for themselves. Now when someone from the outside came to give them something, they said, thank you, but if we think it is important, we will do it ourselves. The end. Has anyone seen or participated in anything like this happening? Have you seen a short-term team come in and find a solution to a problem that didn't last? I think many of us have both seen and contributed to issues like this. And so what these principles are to guide us into um, doing things in an improved way. So here's your interactive part. Um, what are some potential hazards of solutions designed and funded entirely by outsiders? Okay, no buy-in or ownership by the community. What else? It's not sustainable, so it's not actually like helping the community because then you're not empowering people and walking alongside people to like figure out a solution that can continue to happen even when you leave. Yeah, so it's not sustainable. It doesn't often continue. And kind of a second thing you said was you're not really walking alongside or empowering people. Good. It's what very, else? It's very paternalistic, the great white American savior syndrome. Okay. You sound like you have experience with that. <laughs> what else can you think of? I think we got almost everything. And this is just a sample list, but um, the solutions are unsustainable or impractical. Uh, so, you know, maintaining an ambulance in a rugged mountain environment probably isn't the most practical thing. Um, so we didn't have much awareness of the environment or even maybe the culture. Um, uh, uh, creating dependencies or paternalism. Denying the community opportunity to think together and create their own solutions. Someone spoke to that. 
and then addressing symptoms but not the cause. So um, the ambulance and the clinic were at the foot of the mountain taking care of people after they had fallen off, but no one really stopped to think about what's the root cause? What's How can we prevent this from, from needing the ambulance to begin with? Right? Good answers. Thanks. Next question is, what are some benefits of a solution that is created by the community using local resources? So kind of the opposite of the first question. So it's more likely to be sustainable. The community has ownership and buy-in. The community sees what they have and not just what they lack, So, which is very empowering and um, creates hope. So at the end of that story, you know, the community said, well, we've solved one problem on our own. We can solve future problems on our own or not. You know, if we'll, we'll identify the problem and we'll contribute to the solutions and come up with some solutions. So it's really inspiring um, hope and transformation. So what mistakes did the outsiders make that eventually required them to back out? The short-term team and the church leadership, what were some of their mistakes? No engagement with the listening to the uh, locals. Yeah, not listening to the locals, not really engaging it didn't seem like with the locals. What else? We know what's best. We know what's best, yeah. Just throwing money out. I mean, throwing money to it, right? Yeah, money is the solution to everything, right? <laughs> Wrong. Yeah, and why why is building a strong relationship important? Because a lot of cultures are more relationship focused than task focused, and actually, people don't always feel comfortable making suggestions until they feel comfortable in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Great. You know, also. If we look, whoops, sorry, I'm giving you the answers here. If we look to um, Jesus' example of how he fostered transformation and holistic development, um, his, it was very relationship-based, right? And what we're trying to do is kind of model the kingdom of God, which is not always task-oriented and problem-focused, but... It's built on relationships. So that's a that's an, a very important point. What other mistakes did you see the outsiders making? Dependency. Say that again? Dependency. So yeah. Yeah. Yep. Kind of creating the dependency, you know, when when the ambulance broke down or the clinic wasn't working, the people went to the outsiders to fix it. Good. So they made assumptions that were unrealistic. You know, that's 
what we were talking about, not really knowing the whole situation, the environment and the culture. And we are always making assumptions. We just need to, you know, test our assumptions against reality. They saw money as the solution. They ignored local resources. So basically they were kind of saying, oh, there's nothing here that can help. Let's bring in something totally new. Um, they didn't show confidence in the people to solve their own problems, which, again, is not very empowering. Um, here's your white savior complex that someone mentioned. And then very first thing we said is they didn't ask questions or listen carefully, which is kind of the two most important things I would say are the building relationships and asking questions and listening, um, going with a listening, learning attitude um, versus uh, I can come in and fix whatever problems I see attitude. So this is our last question. Um, what can outsiders do to help the community take control of their own development and create their own solutions? Um, and just before, as you're thinking of your answers to that, so what are some things that we can improve on and do better than the short-term team and the church leadership in the mountain story? Um, these two photographs here, the, the one sitting outside um, when I worked in Haiti. I worked in Haiti for a year. It was after the 2010 earthquakes and um, I was with Samaritan's Purse. They had set up, they had worked with three different communities to set up rural clinics in these communities um, and we brought in visiting doctors and nurses, Haitian doctors and nurses to staff these clinics once or twice a week. Um, so when I first arrived, one of the villages, one of the communities, uh, had lost the location where they had held the clinic. It was no longer available to them. So they came to our team with this challenge or problem, you know, like we don't have anywhere to have the clinic now. Uh, so we went to the community, had a meeting with the community leaders and community members. Uh, so that's the, the picture is the meeting, you know, and said, okay, so what are, we don't know your community as well as you do. What are some other options, locations, places that we can have this? They went, we went away, um, came back in a week. They had found two or three different um, options. And with our doctors and nurses, we toured the places and came together to the solution to hold the clinic in a church. Um, and there was a section, a room in the church that they could uh, develop into more of a clinic setting, not, you know, a classroom or church setting. Uh, so the community identified the problem, identified possible solutions, and then, you know, implemented the solutions, and we just facilitated that process. Um, and the picture on the right is one of our Christian Health Service Corps missionaries demonstrating and teaching ultrasound in her mission hospital where she works. So um, we're not saying, you know, we can bring in skills and ideas and knowledge, uh, but we want to be invited. You know, they said, oh, you know how to do ultrasound. Can you teach us how to do ultrasound? Um, so it's it's really creating more of an interdependency than um, a, a dependency. And it's being the body of Christ um, together and working alongside, as some of you have said. Um, it also demonstrates that these principle, uh, principles can be applied in various settings, and a community can be variously defined. Um, so a community can be, you know, a rural village in Haiti. A community can be a hospital department. A community could be a medical school or residency class. So your community is your common group of people that you're working with and among, 
and helping or wanting, you know, they're wanting to develop more and improve more. Um, so fostering and facilitating that transformation um, kind of wherever you are. So back to our last question on the mountain story. What can outsiders do to help the community take control of their own development and create their own solutions? Ask questions and listen. We can listen, yes. <laughs> help them figure out what their needs are. Okay. Build relationships, yeah. Which takes time. Train them. What else? You need to train them to take over. Yep. Yeah, kind of always think of the exit strategy even when you're entering, right? Like how is this going to last into the future even when I'm not here? Yeah, community involvement. Trust. Ooh, tell us more about that. sharing that example, um, you know, my mind initially went to the developing trust with the people in the village and the people in the village having trust, but this trusting, or the, the outsiders not trusting the village and not, yeah, it goes both ways. Wow. Which really is, you know, not really upholding people as made in the image of God and, and dignity and God gives us all skills and resources, right? Yeah, so what can the outsiders do? We said start by listening and asking questions and ask what do you have instead of what do you need? Um, so as we move into discussing the principles more, we talked about the principle of asset-based community development, right? So how many have done a needs assessment? Yeah. How many have done an assets assessment? Oh, good. One or two. Okay. So my contention is that anytime when, when we're doing projects or programs, oftentimes we are required to have a needs assessment. But anytime we do a needs assessment, right alongside that, we should be doing an assets assessment, which assesses resource strengths um, and skills and uh, the materials in the community itself, um, because when I come to you and make a and say, okay, tell me everything that's lacking in your community, or let's make a list of everything you need. How does that make you feel? Less than. Yeah, less than. 
it's not very empowering. Again, it's not really dignifying or upholding. Um, but if I come and say, okay, let's look at what you have that we can use to meet this identified challenge or this identified need, how does that make you feel? It's empowering and it gives you hope, right? So I even used um, these principles in, there was a hospital that we were rebuilding in Nigeria and when I first met with the staff, the first thing that I did was I said, every day I hear complaints and problems and challenges, but today we're going to make a list of our strengths. And what strengths does this hospital have? What strengths does your department have? And we're going to use those strengths to meet these challenges and problems that are coming up every day. So starting out with what you have instead of what you need. And then encouraging people to make changes themselves rather than doing things for them. So here's our, you know, white savior complex that we come in and think we know what the problem is and what the answer is. Um, and we kind of, sorry, we kind of do it on our own. Um, and so we're not saying don't work alongside or work with. I mean, we can be out there digging the fence posts too, but really the change has to come from the people and they need to be involved in every step of the process. Being a facilitator, not a controller. Um, so again, really listening, asking the questions, helping people to develop an awareness of issues and um, solutions for those issues and giving input as needed and requested. Not going as someone, when we were talking about um, the culture and developing relationships, in many cultures, the person when the person with the most perceived authority speaks, that's the end of the discussion. And often, the white outsider, unfortunately, is seen as the person with the most authority. So again, with my hospital staff in Nigeria, when we had the hospital meetings and I would ask them, you know, I hear you guys talking all the time, but whenever we have a meeting and I pose a question or present something, there's no discussion. And they said, that's because when you speak, that's the end of the discussion. So I had to learn to sit back and not open my mouth um, and let them discuss issues amongst themselves. So, um, And then when they ask me questions or ask for my input, give that as needed and requested. Resist giving things away. People value things they pay or work for. This is a hard one, especially for short-termers. Oftentimes we go and we're like, you know, I'm just going to leave my whole suitcase full of clothes here because I can buy more clothes at home um, or things like that. But when people are involved in the process, invested in the process, and, you know, have something that they're paying or working for, that creates that ownership and that sense of, you know, maintenance and responsibility. We see that even with healthcare when we give away free healthcare. You know, people don't take the medications as prescribed or follow the physician or provider's advice as prescribed, but when they have to invest even a little bit in it, um, we do see that it's more likely to, to be sustainable and to work. Um, helping people to map their assets and identify their local resources. So, you know, going through... Sorry, this keeps advancing. Um, going through a process like this, reading this story, and then saying, you know, what do you have in your community that could help with this? Um, let's look at where where your local resources are. Um, we talked about awareness of hazards and root causes, not just the symptom or the 
the eventual problem of injury or death, but really what's leading to that and how can we prevent it. So approaching things with a prevention attitude, again, facilitating the discussion and the planning, starting with small viable projects. So if there's kind of like the low-hanging fruits that people can have a success on a small project, then they're more likely, you know, that generates hope and inspiration and confidence that they can handle larger projects. Then, again, working together with people on their own initiatives, even if it isn't what you would have done. So there's a story in Che of a long-term missionary couple that were working in a community and saw a lot of children dying from diarrhea, but when they asked the community what the community thought was an issue or a problem or something that the community wanted to work on, the community wanted a basketball court for their young people. And this missionary couple was like, but people are dying of diarrhea. But they helped the community build a basketball court, and in that process, the community felt confidence and hope and ownership and realized that in order for children to play on the basketball court, they needed to be healthy. So then they started looking at, well, what can help our children to be healthier and eventually address the diarrhea issue, which takes patience, as we said, with building relationships, but then also kind of letting people, facilitating the process, but helping people to move at their own pace. Another thing is letting people fail. So failures are learning and growth opportunities, right? And it's very hard if you're a leader or a manager or coming from the United States to be like, you know what, if this doesn't work, it's okay. It will teach us something and we'll move on to the next thing. And then building relationships, the basis of everything, building trust and mutual commitment. And, of course, as Christians, we want to walk in the spirit and pray and just cover every part of what we're doing with prayer. So that was kind of a story that illustrates asset-based community development and participatory learning in action. So based on our discussion, who could give me a definition of asset-based community development at this point in time? Finding out what they have and how that can be used to help with whatever the perceived need is. Yeah, okay. Who else has a definition? I kind of like these terms because they're pretty, they include the definition in the term itself. Actually, it's pretty self-explanatory. But asset-based, so it's based on assets, based on what do you have, what's already present. And it's community, so it's community-focused. It puts the community at the center and gets community involvement and engagement in the entire process from identifying the problem to forming and implementing a solution. So then we have community ownership of the development process and development people improving their lives. But helping people to identify, you know, what are the assets that you have and not just what can I bring or give you is where it all starts. 
Uh, we talked a little bit about this. You guys have all mentioned, you know, when we focus on needs, we're focusing on what's lacking, that we're less than, we're focusing on the negative. Um, it sometimes can create kind of a consumerism, like we're the professionals or the outsiders coming in to provide services instead of we're all the body of Christ working together to grow and develop. Um, and it implies that there's nothing locally available that can help. It creates paternalism and dependency and devalues people and life as worthless at times. Uh, so in Shea, there's a saying that people are made in the image of God with God-given abilities and skills, and people are stewards of resources, not victims of circumstance. Um, so really looking at that made in the image of God with dignity, abilities, and skills. Um, so what happens when we focus on assets? What are some more specific things we've mentioned, you know, inspiration and hope and dignity, but what are some specific things that happen when we focus on assets that you can think of? Empowerment. Okay. I think sometimes it redirects their focus on their assets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of saying, you know, what was me, they can say, oh, we have this and we have that. Yeah, it helps them to identify you know, Christ within or their God, what God has given them as skills and abilities, right? Awesome. What did we see when the respected man in the mountain story approached the community? What was the community's response? Great idea. Yeah. Yeah, and then they actually, you know, works together so it's um neighbors making connections and contributions and really solidifying relationships more and really kind of people are the answer not necessarily money or materials um, and can and it also can foster the holistic view of community right so they were looking at the problem of people getting injured um but it brought the whole community together to use their, you know, skills, knowledge, abilities, mind, physical, and emotions, and even spiritual because it was inspiring hope. So it fosters the holistic um, view and holistic development. So a definition of asset-based community development is a methodology for the sustainable development of communities based on their strengths and potentials. It it involves assessing the resources, skills, and experience available in a community, organizing the community around issues that move its members into action, and determining and taking appropriate action. So really looking at the skills, strengths, and abilities within a community. This is just a summary slide of focusing on needs and focusing on assets. And I believe you should all have access to this um, slide deck within the GMHC materials now. So. Um, so reading the mountain story and answering those questions and having this discussion was an example of participatory learning and action. Um, if you look at the words participatory learning and action, 
what could you say as a definition for this term and this principle? I mean, just that's pretty much as simple as it is, right? Um, it's really um, using a process that engages participants, all participants, um, the people in the village, the outsiders, you know, everyone involved in the process. Um, and it uses, so ways to engage, ways that we use to engage people and use um, and learn and then move to action are things like stories, skits, songs, um, Pictures, like a picture book demonstrating different um, environments, activities, and questions. Um, why do you think that we read a story and discussed questions amongst ourselves and you came up with the answers versus me giving a standard lecture? Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. But but how does this help move us toward action? Go ahead. You you were teaching us how to do that. Yeah, it's providing it's providing an example, but it's also engaging your whole person holistically, your um your mind, your emotions, not necessarily your physical, but there are some activities that involve physical <laughs> things too. Um, but, and it uses kind of both sides of your brain. So it's engaging the whole person, not just the, you know, logical rote memory thought process, but also the creativity and visual and, you know, everything which comes up with a more holistic, uh, solution. So, uh, participatory learning and action activities are things like reading the story, doing pictures, doing actions that help us all to participate, to learn together, and then to come up with an action plan. Um, one of the resources at the end is called the 10 Seed Technique, and this, go, this is a great participatory learning and action activity um, that can help you to gather information about a community or disease prevalence or agriculture or different things. It can also help to gather information about to what that community thinks um, and how they process and also help that community themselves to see, um, to work through the process of what is the problem, what are solutions that we have. Uh, so some of the questions that we ask in uh, examples like this are what, what are some resources our community has, which are people, organizations, institutions, and facilities that are available locally, materials available locally, and where and how can money be found locally. So as we said, someone said it during the uh, mountain story, that you know the outsiders just wanted to throw money at the problem, right? And that's actually often sometimes the hardest thing, especially for those of us in missions. So we think about money a lot, um, but money can be found locally. 
and materials, those are the first two things that we think of when we talk about resources. But resources also include people. Resources include the community leadership, the respected man in the community, um, the school students who can collect the wood for building the fence, um, the laborers who know how to dig the holes and put them in cement. Um, so the people, organizations, you know, churches, religious organizations, um, community groups, institutions and facilities might be like your school building where you can convert a room into a clinic or have a community meeting um, or, again, a church or a government building where you can um, all meet together. So we often overlook, we as outsiders as well as communities, overlook what resources they actually do have and um, working through stories and questions and skits and mapping, making a map of our community, what's where, oh yes, here's a water source that we don't always use, um, helps to identify those resources. So the reason that we do participatory learning in action is uh, to involve the community in assessing their own needs, choosing their own priorities and developing their own solutions. Again, holistic development and asset-based community development it can raise awareness of needs and resources or opportunities. It can raise awareness of the roots of problems and understanding of solution. And then inspiring hope and a vision for change, preparing a community for action, assessing their readiness for transformation, gathering information, and monitoring progress. So if you're used to thinking in kind of project cycle terms and project terms, uh, participatory learning and action fits in all uh, steps of the project cycle. We are getting close to the end. Um, so again, I just wanted to remind you that community health evangelism is a strategy uh, for transformational physical and spiritual development that's working around the globe by using these principles of development like participatory learning and action and asset-based community development. Um, and what we've done today in 45 minutes is a sample of a four-and-a-half-day course uh, where we go through multiple – Che has thousands of lessons. In a four- or five-day course, we go through, you know, seven lessons a day um, that combine physical and spiritual principles and apply um, – developmental uh, principles to help communities um, transform and develop and build and improve. Um, and so there's a, an organization of individuals and organizations that, um, there's a network of individuals and organizations that use community health evangelism. Christian Health Service Corps is part of their, that network and we do offer CHE um, training twice a year either at our location in Texas or online. We're going to have an online CHE course in April. So look at the chenetwork.org as well as look visit our booth, Christian Health Service Corps booth, and um, look at Christian Health Service Corps uh, for more information because um, it really is a very holistic kind of compact strategy that helps you have a program that helps people develop. Uh, so after this, uh, take a few minutes to jot down these answers to these reflection questions, and we're going to have, we have about 15 minutes left uh, for questions and answers uh, that you can share if you would like. How have your definitions of the following changed based on our discussion? Holistic development, 
asset-based community development and participatory learning and action. So our learning objectives, but how, how does this apply to you and your life and what have you learned? And then how might you incorporate the principles and methods we discussed into your service, into your life right now, whatever community you're in, and into what you're looking to do in the future. Here's our list of suggested resources. Again, we have the CHE network. Um, my email is on the last slide. Uh, and then the one, two, three, four, fifth one down, Jaya Karan. That's the 10 seed technique, which is a really um, good participatory learning and action activity. That little book is like a 50-page book, but it's a really quick read and it's fascinating. So I would, I would suggest all of these to everyone. These are all very helpful resources, um, but that one I wanted to point out in particular. And here's my email, and we also just have a time for your questions and answers now or sharing of your experience with some of these concepts that we've been discussing. Thank you all for the great answers that you came up with already. I can tell you've learned a lot through GMHC and have a lot of life experiences, and it's a smart group on a Saturday morning. But what what lingering questions do you have, or um, what have you learned from this or want to share with the group? Can you return to the previous slide for just a second? Sure. I think I can. There we go. And it, you know, tells us we need to be thinking through all of these things as we're doing anything and, you know, keep asking the questions and getting to the root of the problem. Yeah, Dan, those two books are really helpful. They're also really short, quick reads, and but they're helpful to even give. We have 
people working in the Ivory Coast uh, in Che, and they will go, you know, initiate, start a relationship with a village, and give them these books and say, read these books, and I'll be back in a few months and, <laughs> and you know, see what you've done with it. Uh, so they're very helpful. And also, uh, kind of like the mountain story that we started out with, that story I've used in settings like this. I've shared it with church organizations that are uh, churches that are going on short-term missions, um, and I've shared it with communities uh, around the world. And so people planning to go, it helps us to see, oh, yeah, there are resources locally available. We don't have to bring everything in and kind of shift our mindset into more of asset-based community development and participatory learning in action, and people in – other communities in the world, like the, the Haitian community that lost its location for um, a clinic, it help, It again helps them to see, oh, yeah, we do have resources. So it's one of those activities that can be applied in multiple settings. Thanks for that input about Dan Fountain. Yeah, he's a fascinating – he was a fascinating man, and his, his work lives on. Um, what other insights or questions – do you all have? I, um, I just wonder if you could help with some questions to get, get at assets. So perhaps imagine a scenario of joining a um, primary health clinic team that's perhaps been through a difficult season and they're looking to the future. What, what questions could you ask the team to help them develop the, um, identify their assets? So to start a primary health care clinic? To, to, you're joining an existing team and you're, you're kind of planning uh, okay. as a team. What, where yeah, you're... joining an existing team. Yeah, so um, I have some thoughts, but who else in our group might have some answers, some thoughts to that question? What could we, if we're joining a primary health clinic, um, what questions could we ask them to help them identify their assets? That's a great question. What is your favorite thing? What do you, you know, what do you like about your job? What do you like about working here? I think also you have to ask the question, especially in, in his example, is um, um, what's not working? Uh, not necessarily what do you need from me, um, but, but where do we need to, that may not be the first question, but... Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. At some point, 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say, um, so an example I have of that is, you know, maybe start with, or maybe it's more what, what is the pressing issue right now or what is the, you know, priority concern right now that we need to address? And, you know, let's discuss what that concern is, where it comes from, what we can do for it. So at the hospital I was helping rebuild in Nigeria, they were talking about having a TB isolation ward or area or, you know, what, what can we do for TB? How can we improve um, our TB management, uh, tuberculosis management? And in that discussion, just by, you know, asking the question, okay, how, what do we have and how can we improve our tuberculosis management and letting them all talk, um, the discussion came up about there's a, a housing for families like a fourplex that, you know, we have for families to stay in, but no one ever stays there and no one likes to stay there because it's isolated. And I was like, so we're talking about TB isolation, right? <laughs> and we're, we've identified a building that's isolated. You know, we'll still need to talk about how the staff can go between, you know, what staff is going to be assigned there so that the patients aren't there by themselves. But um, yeah, just things like that that aren't that just are like okay, isolation. This is what we're talking about. Um, I would say with the staff in Nigeria, one of the it was more the intangible things that came out. Um, I apologize if you hear the train, uh, but it was you know they could all say, oh yes, we have buildings and we have facilities and we have an OR, but we don't always have consistent oxygen. Uh, but really it was drawing forth um, more like attitudes and, um, you know, so why are you working here? Well, we're working here because it's a mission hospital and we want to help our people and we um, want to serve God. Um, so those were some of the basic important, like drawing out questions more of what is our mission, vision, mission, vision and values and then how are we going to apply those, um, you know, from that, what resources do we have as far as materials, and how does that change how we might use the materials, um, how we might look at getting more materials, and how we, you know, treat patients. So not, I don't have a specific list of questions because it was more of a discussion, um, but looking at, you know, also organizations and people like the church people came to um, put bricks, lay bricks one day and to um, clean out the dam area, you know, different things like that, the water dam area, um, different things like that. So hope that's helpful. It looks like we have maybe two more minutes. Um, any other last minute questions? I'm going to move back to the slide with my email for you. Um, Mm-hmm. But you could use local, and, and that's what the local, our local team wants to do, but our donor has a different idea. So you're, you're kind of caught in this uh, between, you know, what the donor says is the right way to do something, and maybe it is more long-lasting, and what the community, when you discuss
what the community wants, and that's going to be in contrast to what the donor or your supporters want. How have you been able to work to resolve that? What's yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've had, I've addressed that in two ways, and this is just my own personal experience. One way is by sharing some of these types of lessons, things that we're talking about today with the donors, um, which may often takes a little bit of a longer time um, for, you know, to bring them up to speed on developmental principles and help, help that mind shift and worldview change in their minds. Um, but I've, you know, over time working with donors, I've seen that work um, in the short term. And especially if it's kind of like, you know, one specific donor for one specific thing that really isn't going to be a long term relationship with that donor. Sometimes I'll say no. You know, I'll say, I'm sorry, but this is what this is the plan that would work for the community. And this is why. And we're, we're going to look elsewhere for the money or the help. Um, that's been only a few times. Usually it's been more of a longitudinal relationship as well as, you know, sometimes you can also, you know, come to a compromise with the don't have the donors come to the community and have a discussion. But all of this is based on more long-term relationship development and not, you know, that, that wouldn't be something when I first entered a community that I would be entertaining. Um, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Um, and God provides. <laughs> so it's hard to say no sometimes, but, but know that God always has a plan. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise it's not theirs, you know. Like just as we learn, you know, we learn by our mistakes, and so I made I, I gave the same session. This is a repeat from the other day, and I adapted based on some of the questions at the end. Um, so that's just a small example. Well, thank you all so much for your participation and for coming and your hearts for service and I will I think Ben is gonna let you know where to go next